Hey, I'd like to ask you, if you would, please, to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 today. Um, you know, Sundays are always a full day. Oh, speaking of full days on Sunday, there's no outreach committee meeting this evening. Um, you know, Sundays are always a full day for a pastor, especially with two services. So, you know, I got myself cooking this morning about 5.30. For some reason, that's the time I woke up and uh, went over the message and everything. And then I do the first service and then I do Sunday school. I feel like I'm rude to people because I am flying around to do all that in between and that half hour between. And then I come here and preach this. And then I go home and, and uh, watch a football game, which is probably the hardest work of my day. And then... I come back in the evening, and sometimes there's a committee meeting before, sometimes afterward. And so by the end of the service, I'm ready to, for something to completely veg out to. And completely vegging out for Laurel and me means America's Funniest Home Videos. Uh, we love that. We watch it. We don't watch the reruns of it, but we watch that every Sunday night when it's new. Our DVR is set to get all new episodes of that Sunday night. Tonight I'll watch the Steelers, and hopefully that won't be America's Funniest Home Videos, right? <laughs> Disaster? Who said that? Some Cowboys fan, probably. Oh, sorry, it wasn't you, was it? <laughs> One of the things that's funny on America's Funniest Home Videos, uh, and they do this all the time, um, there's this game called T-Ball where they put a ball on a little tee uh, for a little boy to hit. And he'll be swinging at that thing and missing it, you know, just, just, just like me, you know, even to this day, I'd be swinging and missing that thing. And then something will happen that someone will say to him, Billy, Billy, get your eye on the ball. And inevitably, that little boy will walk right up to that tee, and he'll stick his eyeball right down on that ball. And uh, it's just too cute. And every time I see it, I laugh, just like it's the first time I saw it. What do you keep your eye on? There's a lot of different things that we're told to keep our eye on. When I go to McDonald's, I go there and work often. The new McDonald's has been, did you see how nicely remodeled that is on this end of town in, in Clearfield? Do you know why they did that remodeling? It was for your pastor because they only had one outlet in the old McDonald's, and I would take my laptop in, and I would have to fight old ladies for that seat, you know? And that new McDonald's has lots of outlets. So I go in there, and I'll sit there, and I'll work on a message when I'm just not getting anything, you know, uh, in my study. I'll, I'll go there, and, uh, you know, Tolstoy used to write in the public square because the faces of the people inspired him. That's what happens to me at McDonald's. And so I'll work there at McDonald's, and as I'm working there, uh, not that I'm Tolstoy, as I'm working there, um, Inevitably, I'll drink a lot of coffee. And I don't know if you know this, a byproduct of drinking coffee is releasing coffee. You just have to do that. If you're sitting there with a $1,500 computer there, you know, or however much you paid for yours, you know, there's mine, and I paid way too much for it. And, and I'm thinking, wow, I can't just leave this here, can I? But here's what I do, and it's always worked. I look at a complete stranger, and I say, keep an eye on that computer for me. I'm going to go to the restroom. And they've never taken it once. They keep an eye on it the whole time. When they come back, they say, we kept an eye on it. What do you keep an eye on in your life? You know, when our kids were little, we kept an eye on our kids. When uh, before the dot-com bust happened, we kept an eye on the stock, mar stock market. Now I can't stand to look at it, you know? Some people can't keep an eye on politics. I think you'll go blind if you look into politics for too long, you know? Other people keep an eye on celebrities. What are you keeping an eye on? It's interesting to me, in our text today... God is telling us to keep an eye on our life. And that might seem like a silly thing to you. Well, of course I keep an eye on my life. Not everybody does. Not everybody does. Some people are just completely careless the way they live. And, and instead of like navigating the water of life, instead of navigating their way down the river of life, 
They're just like a log that's laying in a river and it just floats along and goes this way and that way and bumps into things and washes up on the shore until there's a flood and then comes back in. This passage is saying don't be like that. Think about your life. Keep an eye on it. Watch how you live. And it gives us really good counsel. This passage gives us really good counsel on how to keep an eye on our life. Now your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read six verses. We're going to start at verse 15. Follow along silently if I, as I read, if you would, please. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I think I could write ten sermons out of those verses, but I'm not going to. What I see in those verses is that this passage is about living in a manner that is wise, not unwise. You get that, right? You see that in verse 15. He begins, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And from there on, in the following verses, in the ones I read and beyond, God's going to tell us how to live as wise people. And one of the first things you observe is that wisdom means having an eye for opportunity. God lays opportunities in front of you all the time, and in front of me as well, but so frequently So frequently, if I'm not just aware of that, I'll miss them. And to my shame, sometimes I would say to you that I saw that opportunity, but I didn't take the initiative to do anything about it. Missed opportunity. We see them all the time in society. I was reading some articles this week in the tech world, and and I read an article about America Online. Do you remember AOL? AOL was one of the first digital providers of information to the common guy and common gal in their home. Remember those AOL discs? I think I got enough of those that I could have paved my driveway with those in the mail. AOL had a great opportunity to be America's premier internet service provider. But they blew it. And they missed that opportunity. And now, who has AOL? I know one or two people that still have AOL addresses. You can see it other places. You can see it in Yahoo. I mean, everybody. There was a day when everybody had a Yahoo email address. I'm still sdshields at yahoo.com. I don't even know why I still have that address, but it's still there and I still check it, you know? Interestingly, everybody had a Yahoo address. And Yahoo had a search engine and they could have been the Google of our day. Missed opportunity. They didn't seize what was in front of them and make good use of it because of their short-sightedness and their missed opportunity. And now everybody has a Gmail address. Ever heard of Friendster? Wow, if Friendster had seized the day, they would be Facebook. Ever heard of Napster? If Napster Napster had taken advantage of the opportunities in front of them, they would have been Pandora. But they all missed those opportunities. This passage says, don't miss opportunities. Verse 16 says, 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, let me say very clearly that when it speaks about making the most of every opportunity, it's not talking about the things of this world. In fact, I have heard prosperity gospel people, I've listened to sermons and read literature in my distance past, distant past, where prosperity preachers would say, you need to take advantage of opportunities. Get out there and get in the stock market. Get, get this mutual fund. Buy my mutual fund. I have a great opportunity for you to sell the Vita Vita, Vita Benjamin machine, you know, or whatever. Don't miss this opportunity. It says you must not miss this opportunity in Ephesians 5.16. No. No. That is not at all what this passage is talking about. I mean, if you think about it, how could this passage possibly be about finances? We have gone through, over the past several weeks, four and one-half chapters of Ephesians that has brought us to this point. You have heard over 20 sermons from those chapters. We've really taken those verses apart. How many times have you heard, God wants you to be wealthy, from that text or from, from the messages? Zero. Zero. This is not about taking an opportunity to have a bigger house or to get more income, or have a faster motorcycle. This is about something completely different. It's about taking opportunity regarding the things of the kingdom for the purpose of advancing the kingdom. Someone said to me one time, maybe a dozen years ago, they said, Pastor, I know you guys, you pastors, you're all about making your churches grow. And when he said that, it kind of, he was a friend, and it kind of cut me to the quick. And I thought about why, why he said that, and initially I thought, maybe I, maybe I come across that way, like, I'm going to be the big church, and I don't want to be the big church. Maybe I come across that way, like, it's all about building Kerwinsville Alliance, but it's not. Here's the difference between that gentleman and his way of thinking and where I was at the time. I had a kingdom mentality that God had put me here to draw people to him to grow the kingdom for Christ's sake. And he had a different perspective that said, I'm just here. I'm just here. When this passage talks about opportunities, it is talking about opportunities to grow the kingdom for Christ's sake. It is talking about opportunities for us as messengers of Jesus to shine light into a very dark world. When you have the opportunity, God is saying, show my light. Because this world is incredibly dark. Paul's just talked about how dark this world is. Back in verse 3, he began kind of a very short rant about it. In verse 3, he says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, darkness, or impurity, darkness, or of greed, darkness. In verse 4, he says, Nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, darkness, darkness, darkness. He says in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of light. Now, in this passage this morning, I hear God saying, if you want to have a kingdom mentality, you must take every opportunity I give you to shine the light. That is our job. That is why we're here, to live as light every chance we get. 
Wisdom. Wise living takes advantages of opportunities when they're there. And that's a good thing. Okay, now I want to kind of transition here. I want to talk about having this eye for opportunity and talk about how good that is, but I kind of like to ramp this up a little bit if I could, and I think the text does as well. I want to use an illustration of a hunter. You know, I hunt, but I'm not a hunter. This is the way I see the difference. The difference is I hunt when I have opportunity to hunt. Ah, you know what? My schedule's free for three hours this morning. I think I'll go hunting. I wonder what's in season. Huh. Groundhogs. That's what I'll hunt today. And so I just kind of hunt whenever I have the opportunity. But I am not an intentional hunter. Eric is an intentional hunter. He did not give me permission to share this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. We have. How many of you have got your, your deer this year? Put your hand up if you already got your deer. Get your hand up. All right, yeah. Look at Praton waving his hand here. Look at that, yeah. And Dave has his hand. Those are two intentional hunters. Here's the difference. Yesterday, some of us went over and were helping Eric. He's building a house. And we were probably getting in the way. I was getting in the way more than I was helping. But Eric said, I want to tell you about taking Praton hunting and when he got his first buck. And so, man, he gave me all the details. You know, just like a, an intentional hunter would. I put him right here, and we went around this way, and, and, and we went this way, and then we were over here, and, and I heard it over here, and we went over here. And he's giving me those details that a hunter gives. And then he said this, and they moved, and I knew where they were going because I've hunted here all my life. I know where the deer go. That's an intentional hunter. You see that? That's not an opportunistic hunter. Nothing wrong with opportunistic hunters. That's what I am, right? But an intentional hunter ramps it up a little bit. An intentional hunter is is the kind of guy who says, I want to think ahead about where I'm going and what I'm doing. I'm going to scout the land. I'm going to plan the hunt. I'm going to learn the habits of the game, and I will find the deer. This passage tells me that wisdom means having an eye toward intentionality in our life. Now, when you look at this passage, there's a silly debate among scholars as to whether is it saying live carefully or look carefully at the way you live. And you may think to yourself, who cares? And buddy, I'm right with you on that. Who cares? Because I think that debate misses the whole point that what is trying to be communicated here is that how you live is important, and so you should live with a degree of intentionality. I bumped into people, and I talked to them about this. They say, you know, I just don't, I don't think about how I'm going to live for Jesus. He just does whatever, and I just do whatever as well. I don't live with intentionality is what they're saying. I don't know how to be intentional. Yes, you do. All of us are intentional. I got up this morning at 530 and I, I knew I was going to see you. I knew that you and I would be in close proximity to one another. And for that reason, I bathed. Okay? That's intentionality. It's saying, today, I'm going to bump into someone, and so today I want to smell not bad, so I'll go ahead and bathe, you know? All of us live with intentionality. You go grocery shopping in advance. My wife, every Tuesday... Nothing will change this model. She is going to the grocery store on Tuesday morning. But wait, I think I'm having a heart attack. I will see you when I get back. 
She's very intentional, and she gets what we need in advance of what we need to be prepared to be prepared for the week's meals. Do you understand that? What I see is that this passage is telling us to do that. Because if we don't do that, if, if Laurel didn't do that, we would say how foolish. She is just so foolish. She's not doing anything with intentionality. She's just kind of the log floating down the river instead of the ship navigating the river. This passage speaks about thinking about what you do when it says at the start of verse 17, do not be foolish. Don't be foolish. Think ahead about your day, your month, your year, and what it's going to be like and say, how can I intentionally shine light in dark places? How can I do that? Think of that in advance. The men who were at men's retreat heard this story. I'm going to tell it and elaborate it on it just a wee little bit. Ed and Cheryl, Ed was the speaker, Pastor Ed, at men's retreat, and he told a story of his wife having cancer. When his wife had cancer, uh, we prayed for them. I don't know if you remember that as a church, but we prayed for Cheryl Jelliff, who had cancer. She had very serious cancer. It involved multiple trips every more than once a week to go back and forth to Hershey for treatment. Uh, to deal with her cancer. Ed said this about his wife to the men who were assembled there at Men's Link. He said that one of her greatest concerns when she learned that she had cancer, life-threatening cancer, was that she would show those people who didn't know Jesus and those who had newly discovered Jesus that there's a difference between knowing Jesus and not knowing Jesus. She intentionally thought to herself something like this, I'm the pastor's wife. Others are watching me. I have told them that I trust God. They have watched me sing, though peace like a river attendeth my way, though sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I said that. I need to look at this cancer and choose to intentionally live that kind of faith in front of them authentically, not faking it, but authentically trusting Jesus that he does love me and that whatever happens, whether I am healed or whether I die, I know God's in control and it's okay. That is a woman who has chosen not to be foolish. That is a woman who has chosen to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That is a woman who has chosen to think through her decisions as to what God wants her to do. Because Christ followers make important decisions based on God's will. They're not foolish, verse 17 says, therefore do not be foolish, because they understand, there it is in verse 17, what the Lord's will is. And so when a Christ follower gets up in the morning, he or she may ask, how can I do what God wants me to do today? What is God's will for me and how can I do things? And, and they don't say that regarding their shoes. Oh, I got up in the morning, I didn't know, should I wear my sandals or should I wear my heels? I'm not sure, but she wants me to. They don't do that regarding necessarily what vehicle to buy. Should I buy the Toyota truck or the Tonka truck? I would go for the Tonka personally, right? I mean, people may debate whether God wants you to wear this or that or buy this or that, but the real issue is always, how am I advancing the kingdom? 
Because that's why I'm here. I once was darkness. I now am light. How can I today show that light? Wise people live with an eye toward opportunity. And wise people live with an eye of intentionality that looks for how they can do that every day. And third, wise people have an eye toward eternity. Look at verse 18 a moment, would you? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I talked to you early on that what underlies all of this is fullness of the Spirit. That you really need to be relying on Jesus, on His Holy Spirit's presence in your life, yielded to Him, allowing Him to empower you and direct you in order to be opportunistic, in order to be intentional, and even in order to have an eye toward eternity. You can't do this on your own. It needs to be Jesus doing it. That being said, let's think about verse 18 for a moment because that is a verse that says, be filled with the Spirit. It says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Well, you know that a drunkard is someone who consumes without regard to the future. (laughs) They consume without regard to the hangover they'll have tomorrow morning. They consume without regard to what it will do to their finances. They consume without regard to what it will do to their family. They consume without regard to what it will do even for eternity. In contrast to that, the one who is yielded yielded to God and allowing God to fill him with his spirit has an eye toward the future. He even has an eye toward eternity. Let's kind of talk about what verse 18 means in some detail. I put it here on the screen for you in the NIV. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery. The Greek word is asotia. What does that mean? Debauchery. It's not a word that we use every day. When Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son, he uses a form of that word, asotia. And he says, here's this son who said to his father, hey, you know, I kind of like my inheritance before you die. Can you give me that, please? And the father does. And he goes out and he spends all that inheritance on wild living, asotia. That's what he's doing there. The NIV an English Standard Version translated debauchery. The King James Version translates asotia as excess. And the New American Standard and the New King James translated as dissipation. Like anyone even knows, what is dissipation? Such a hard word to understand. Debauchery, excess, dissipation. What is being said there? One of my favorite contemporary versions of the Bible is the New Living Translation. I've been doing my devotions out of that now for almost a year, and I'm loving it. It's so fresh, and it it describes things in such practical ways. The New Living Translation says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. So debauchery ruins one's life. And Eugene Peterson, who gave us the message, paraphrase of the Bible, he says, don't drink too much wine, that cheapens your life. And then I love the next part. Drink the Spirit of God. Huge drafts of Him. Sounds British to me. Huge drafts of Him, you know. 
I love the concept there. Because what is being said, regardless of which translation you're looking at, is you must not be short-sighted and ruin your life on fleeting pleasures. That that is self-destructive to you. And it will cheapen your life because your life will have little meaning in the face of eternity. It's unwise. It is wasteful, not just of wine, it is wasteful of your very life. So live with an eye to eternity. As I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that when we fail to live with an eye toward eternity, we kind of become a sinkhole. I think sinkholes are pretty cool. I'm glad there's not one under my house, though. You know, Every now and then, something will come across your news on the Internet or you'll be watching the news, and there's a, there's a sinkhole in Kalamazoo, Michigan, or wherever it is. You know, and Usually it's out in, in Nevada. And what happens is just the ground goes right out from underneath a, someone's house or something like that. I read about a sinkhole in Peru in the city that is 185 meters deep. Think about that. That's about two football fields. Can you imagine that deep? And it's huge. And it's right there in the city, you know, right next to the edge of a building. And this always cracks me up. There's pictures of a guy, and he's like looking down into it. And I'm like, what if that slides away? But, you know, people are people. I don't know. Sometimes it seems to me, sometimes it seems to me that people can be sinkholes. That we become never-ending demanders of something to fill us up, and we never quite get it. A psychologist, he wasn't a Christian, he lived in the early part of the last century. His name was Eric Fromm, I'm probably not saying that correctly. But he wrote of this, writing of people who have a bottomless pit which exhausts a person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. I just want to say, living that kind of asotia existence would be hellish. Living an existence where you're always consuming and never feeling satisfied, it's almost like it's a plot of Satan, like it's a demonic thing. Ha! Just keep on trying. You will never be happy. The word asotia kind of speaks of a sinkhole in the soul that's never satisfied. And it reminds us that when we seek fulfillment in anything other than God, in the case of this passage in drunkenness, we will walk away empty. But in contrast, our text says that when you live with an eye toward eternity, you become like a bubbling spring, not a vacuous sinkhole. Instead of living in Asotia, you live in the riches of verses 19 and 20. Look at those verses for a moment. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That might seem kind of weird to you. I'm kind of trying to imagine if maybe, you know, one Saturday morning we go into men's breakfast at the Arrowhead and maybe there's six or eight guys already sitting there and one of the guys comes in and he says, to God be the glory. I think probably the rest of the guys would beat us up that are there, you know. We don't sing to one another in songs. and But I want you to think for a minute. Up until just over 100 years ago, the only way that you could hear music is if someone performed it live. There were no MP3 players. There were no CDs. There was no vinyl. There were no tapes. 
There was no wire. <laughs> there was no radio. And so every time you heard music, it came from someone performing it live. That's just 110 years ago, maybe. This was written about 2,000 years ago, a little less than that. And so you can understand that what he is saying is, produce beautiful things for one another to enjoy. Produce beautiful things. Words of encouragement, words of kindness, words that lift people up, words that praise God and say, you know, I can't believe how good God is to me. I know it amazes some people when I talk about my mother's funeral. I shared this earlier with you. I buried my mom on Monday. It was one of the best days of my life. How do you say you buried your mom and it was a great day? That's God. And when I share those words, I am <laughs> speaking to you in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I am singing and making music in my heart to the Lord, and I'm giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference when you have that eye to eternity? If you don't have the eye to eternity, asotia, debauchery ensues, and you become a sinkhole consuming but when you have the eye to eternity, well, it's kind of the difference between being a bucket of slop, asotia, and being a warm cup of hot chocolate. It's kind of the difference between clinging to your toys like a childish, selfish person or giving open-handedly with a heart of love. It's kind of the difference between being a septic tank filled up with nothing good and being an artesian well that brims over with cool water constantly and refreshes everyone around them. You see, when you live with an eye to eternity and think about things in the long run, you know that you need the Spirit of God to fill you and empower you to be that person. And when you choose to allow Him to do that, then you have opportunity... And you can act with intentionality to think to the future regarding how you will influence other people's lives. And you will choose to sacrifice things of value so that someone who is in need can have it and be blessed by it. And you will choose to give your time to work in hidden places where no one else sees you except for God, but where lives are changed because of that. <laughs> Those hidden places could be places. Well, one time at Mahaffey Camp, a bunch of us were doing some work, and we were all laying underneath a cottage repairing the sewage to it, you know? And it was filthy work down there. And before we had started working at the breakfast table, the pastor who prayed said, God bless those who work in the hidden places. We're laying in there in the dark under that old cottage, and there's cobwebs around and unfavorable fluids flowing freely. And then the guy laying next to me said, these are those hidden places, I guess. What do you think? You know? You'll choose to work in hidden places like even the nursery or among teens or among adults or seniors or with shut-ins or with your neighbor who needs some help with that or, or with a total stranger because you're living in wisdom and you're working impact lives. 
And the difference between you will be that stagnant cesspool, the difference between that stagnant cesspool and what Jesus speaks about. When he speaks about whoever drinks of the water he gives will not thirst. Indeed, you become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the result of living a Spirit-filled life where you act on opportunities, where you live with intentionality, when you keep your eyes pointed toward eternity. You know, I think to myself, what do you keep your eye on, Steve? (laughs) Hey, Steve Shields, what are you keeping your eye on? Are you, Steve, keeping your eye on opportunities that make a difference for the kingdom? Or, Steve, are the opportunities you're looking at advancing your own selfish interests? Hey, Steve, what are you keeping your eye on? Are you keeping your eye on when you begin your day on how you can act intentionally? To glorify God and shine light in a dark world? Or do you wake up and say, I wonder how I can advance myself today? Steve, do you have an eye toward the future? Are you thinking about who you will be a year from now? Are you thinking about how you can influence your children, your adult children, to love Jesus more? Steve, are you thinking about how you can aid people inside your church, people outside your church, the person who's watching your computer at McDonald's, and and even a complete stranger? Are Are you thinking, Steve, about how their eternal future will be? Is your eye pointed toward eternity? As we conclude our time, I want you to ask yourself the same questions. And I'd like us to do that in prayer. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and the way it speaks to our lives. How intensely practical it is. There's nothing wrong with being opportunistic in the kingdom of God. It is a good thing. It is a good thing that when something shows up, you do something about it. You've told us to do that right in in your word. Take advantage of every opportunity. Redeem the times for the days are evil. God, help me when an opportunity comes along. Help us. Help us when opportunities come along. Not to blow them off. Not to be lazy. Not to be negligent. Help us to see opportunities to shine the light of Jesus as divine appointments established by you and then help us stand up and and fulfill those appointments. And beyond that, God, Help us be intentional. Every day, may we just wake up with an idea of how can we advance the kingdom? How can I advance the kingdom? I do not want to live a life, God, that when I get to the end of us, when we get to the end of it, that we we can't look back and say, that was meaningful. None of us want to live that kind of life. And yet, if we are foolish, that's exactly what we'll live. And so right now, each of us are asking you, help us to choose to be intentional in the way we live. And may we do this with eyes that look to the future. May may we see every person we encounter as an eternal being. For God, as C.S. Lewis said, we've never met a mere mortal. Everyone will live eternally, one place or another. 
And help us think in eternal terms. Deliver us from esotia, from short-sightedness, from debauchery. And instead, God, help us to live in the fullness of your grace so that we are so filled with your Holy Spirit that as one would hold a cup, God, under a spigot of, of running water so your Spirit would be pouring into us and then he would be pouring out of us, overflowing into the lives of others. So when people see us, they would say, wow, wow, I feel like God was there. That will make our lives meaningful, God. We want to live as people of wisdom. And so I pray that you would make it so. In Christ's name, amen.